Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. actually below that $65 per barrel high case, we generated close to one third of that full year OCF guidance. And that was really a result of you know, the stronger production performance, higher gas prices um, and tighter differentials. So 2021 off to a great start. In terms of our capital expenditure during the first quarter, it was exactly in line with guidance. Um, $12 million, which was close to one-third of our $37 million um, capital expenditure budget. So how does that feed through into our free cash flow generation? As I mentioned, with $61 Brent and less than $13 diffs, we had a, an exceptional free cash flow generation of $49 million during the first quarter. And again, if you look at that high-end guidance of $65 that we were forecasting, we were looking at a range for the full year of somewhere between $148 million to $155 million. So in the first quarter alone, um, we've generated close to one-third of that high-end free cash flow guidance. And with, with forward-looking Brent prices closer to $70 today and still seeing very tight crude differentials, around $13 per barrel and a, and a strong production performance. If all prices stay at these levels, then we can expect IPC to generate well in excess of that high-end guidance that we've already um, announced. And that really ties back to the long-term free cash flow guidance that we gave back in February. We showed that, you know, if you look at the five-year business plan for IPC, you know, we can we can keep production essentially flat at 45,000 barrels per day with an average capital investment maintenance capex of $4.50 per barrel and between $55 and $65 Brent long-term oil prices generate somewhere between $600 million and $900 million of free cash flow. And if you look at the, the quarterly average, and that would be around $45 million of free cash flow and per quarter, obviously production is lower than that five-year average that we're guiding for, for Q1, and we're already close to $50 million. So you can see that these long-term free cash flow guidance numbers are absolutely anchored in reality. Great cash flow numbers and exceptional free cash flow yields, but if you also uh, look at IPC through the valuation metric, um, I think you can also say it's an extremely... Um, undervalued 2P reserve base that we have. Our, our year-end 2020 2P net asset value was around 1.3 billion US dollars. And, and that 2P reserve base is, is calculated using all prices which are significantly lower than where they stand today. Uh, we're looking at $48 per barrel for this year. Um, and long-term prices don't get to $57 per barrel until 20. 25 and on those pricing assumptions if you look at the share price of 28.3 sec a share and um, at the end of march at the end of the first quarter 
we're trading at about a 61% discount to that 70 sec per share 2p net asset value on a conservative price take. And that does not include a single dollar of value um, assigned to the 1 billion barrels of contingent resources that we have um, in the portfolio. So now a few, a few slides on, on each of the, the key operating areas, starting in, in Canada first. And if we turn to our Suffield oil asset, very strong and steady production performance um, through the first quarter. If you look at the chart on the bottom right-hand side of the screen, you can see we've been producing in excess of 8,000 um, barrels of oil equivalent per day during the first quarter. And that's at levels above um, first quarter 2016 levels. One of the key factors that's driving that strong performance is the, the N2N um, enhanced oil recovery project that we sanctioned two years ago. It's always going to be a slow burn and a slow ramp up. Um, that project is performing ahead of schedule. And if, if you look at the chart on the top right hand side of the slide, you can see the red line was our investment case and the hard blue line is our production actuals and you can see the ramp up in production is running well ahead of, of, of expectation. No further major capital activities are planned on the Suffield property on the all side for the remainder of 2021, but we do have a deep inventory um, of ad additional infill drilling locations and we can restart that program extremely quickly. So huge amount of discretion with respect to how quickly we want to restart drilling on our Suffield oil property. On the gas side, um, Suffield Gas, really good cash flows in Q1. Christoph will show the gas price numbers in his presentation. Um, and the focus there has been unchanged for the last couple of years. It's manage the natural declines with um, very low cost optimization activity. So there's no major capital expenditures planned for the first quarter, but what you can see from the chart on the bottom right-hand side of this slide is that we've got a very, very active gas swabbing program. We've been ramping that up since we took over operatorship in 2018, and we expect those optimization activity levels um, from 2020 to continue into 2021. And if you look at the production performance on the bottom right-hand side of this slide, we did see a dip in February with the cold weather, but as you can see, our, our current production, our spot production is back up to around 100 million standard cubic feet per day. So very steady, um, low declines on the Suffield gas property there. Turning to Onion Lake Thermal, again, from the, the chart on the bottom of this slide, you can see again, a very stable production performance. And the, the biggest project that we have going on there this year, which started in the first quarter, is the completion of the D-Prime tie-in works. Um, we've gone into the turnaround at the beginning of this month. Um, project is going very well. It's on schedule, it's on budget, and we expect to start steaming up um, at the end of this month. And what we should see is a, a steady and gradual ramp up in production through the second half of 2021, which should see production ads by the year end of an excess of 1,500 barrels of oil equivalent per day. And that's why we guided in our February Capital Markets Day guidance that we expected to exit 2021 above the high end of that 43,000 barrels per day range. And I did mention we've got some 
flexibility about some further activities um, that we could take at any point in time. There's five info wells have been identified. You can see it's right in the heart of the property. If you look at the yellow box on the map on the right-hand side of this slide and the, and the blowout picture, which shows five separate infill drilling locations that we think can be um, can can drain additional oil that's not been accessed from the current wells that we have drilled from those existing well pads. So all the facilities are in place, the surface locations and um, can be drilled from existing well pads. So it's very, very, there's no, there's essentially no facilities or uh, capex, really just well drilling capex. And of course, as a result of that, we see some pretty stellar economics and you can look at break-evens of $20 per barrel WCS when WCS prices are currently above $50 a barrel um, and assuming $55 Brent you're getting your payback in less than, than one year and of course with an extra 15 bucks on on the oil price that, that payback time accelerates materially so the capital expenditure is around seven million dollars to to move forward with those projects we're not making any decisions right now, but if we see in the second half a recovery, a, a more fundamentally based recovery in market balances with, with demand recovering and, and matching supply, then it's certainly something that we could move forward with in the fourth quarter if we chose to do so. Ferguson property, which was the, the acquisition of Granite back in late 2019, again, we hit the pause button on our investment plans there. We'd originally planned a six well and drilling program last year before um, market uh, market prices collapsed. Current focus is on um, gas injection and repressurizing um, via some well conversions. But certainly, as we move into next year, if we see continued strong commodity prices, this would be one of the projects that we want to get going again, at least with a six well um, program. And we've got the potential to to more than double production. With, with the well locations that we have already identified on, on this property. On the conventional oil side in, in Canada, John Lake and Onion Lake Primary are back online. The real focus there is on minimizing our operating costs, but we're producing um, today above a thousand barrels a day from those properties. And, and as a result of the, the strong uh, Canadian crude prices, we've taken a decision to to look to restart production um, on our Muni asset. That's got the potential to add 500 barrels a day um, during the second half of 2021. And again, that's another reason why we feel um, confident to state that full year production should be trending towards the upper end of that 43,000 BOE per day guidance range. On Blackrod, um, we continue with our and pilot program, the third well pair um, of the 1.4 kilometer horizontal well pair that we drilled last last uh, last year. The early production results continue to be very positive indeed. Um, if you look at the chart on the bottom left-hand side of the slide, you can see that our initial production rates um, are running ahead of expectation. Um, the temperature and conformance across the entire horizontal section um, of, the, of the well are performing extremely well indeed. And, and this is really important for us because, of course, that can impact the overall economics. And that was the reason that we decided to, to move forward with this project. If we can drain a larger pool of oil from a smaller number of well pads, 
um, less uh, infrastructure and less construction, uh, reduced environmental footprint, and that should feed into to lower break-even costs. So not a project for today, but some really good work and we're getting some really good confirmation on those results. And should we see continued high oil prices to, to mature the subsurface on, on this project? And turning now to, to our Bertam field in, in Malaysia, just continues to astound us every single quarter since uh, this field was put on stream in uh, 2015. We've had uptime above 99%, and that continued through Q1 of 2021. And the big news, as I mentioned in the highlights, was that we added an additional 25% working interest um, from our partner, uh, Petronas Charigali, effective from the 10th of April of, of this year. Um, Petronas chose to, to withdraw late last year. Um, so as a result, there was zero upfront consideration, and we managed to agree a small... Uh, assumption of some residual decommission liabilities of $1 million. Um, so extremely pleased to have acquired that additional production. And net to IPC, that adds just in excess of 1,250 barrels of oil per day from the 10th of April. And there is still some additional upside on, on the Bertam field. And if we look at the, the potential to sidetrack um, our A15 well, we have within our $37 million capital expenditure budget for this year. Part of that includes an allowance for long lead items for ESP pumps um, and for the casing equipment that we would need to drill that well. So this schedule flexibility, again, should we choose to do, do so, we could still move forward with drilling um, this well in the fourth quarter of this year. Rate potential now that we have 100% interest, if that comes on stream, it would be in a, an ad of 1,500 barrels per day. So when you're looking at just Onion Lake Thermal and Bertam, um, those two projects alone could add you know, above 3,000 barrels a day um, to, to our exit rate. So you know, quite, um, quite a nice little bit of growth in those two projects alone. And again, if you look at the economics on the bottom left-hand side of this slide, it's an extremely robust project, break-evens, around $35 per barrel. And again, at $55 per barrel, you're getting your money back in around one year. But of course, it's $70 a barrel. Um, it's going to be much quicker than that. And the, cap, the additional capital that we would need to invest if we chose to move forward with that project would be $22 million. Finally, turning to, to the French business, um, again, very strong production from all of our fields in France. Um, VGR113, which was the, the redevelopment that we put in place um, back in 2019, continues to, to outperform. And if I can ask you to look at the chart on the top right-hand side of this, this uh, slide, you can see the, the dark blue spiky lines as the actual production performance that we've had from VGR5. The bump that you can see in January 2000. Um, in 2021 was when we took the decision to convert our VGR5 water uh, producer into a water injector. And that's important because that now provides pressure support to VGR113. And you can see there's very little decline um, in production from 113. And one of the reasons is we just haven't seen any water breakthrough so far from this well. Our simulation models expected water to start to break through in the third quarter 
of last year and we still haven't seen any uh, water yet. So that's certainly above expectation and is feeding into the strong performance um, of the, the French business. We touched upon before about Total's decision to close the, the Grand Puy refinery, which was um, the, the refinery that we sold our Paris Basin production to. Um, we're now going to be exporting our crude um, to the refinery in Le Havre, and we've now signed a new five-year contract um, with Total that sees us through until the end of 2026. And, and as a result, um, we've locked in that net cost increase that we'd previously guided towards of an increase of around $5 per barrel relative to the Grand Puy um, sales option. Turning now to our sustainability and ESG strategy, still have to be extremely vigilant with respect to our COVID operating protocols across all of our sites in, in Malaysia, in Canada, and in France. I think our teams have really done a tremendous job at keeping our people safe and not having any operational interruptions at, at any of our sites. So you know, tremendous job by the teams on the ground there. As we mentioned in, in our Capital Markets Day presentation, um, IPC's made a commitment to reduce our net emissions intensity by 50% at the end of 2025. And that target is to be achieved by continued reduction in our operational emissions and also investing in carbon offsets. And in line with our partnership that we've formed with First Climate, and we've been in a position to secure more than double the offsets um, that we that we had in 2020. So going from 50,000 tonnes uh, to 100,000 tonnes to offset the 2020 emissions. And that will be updated in our 2021 sustainability report. We're moving forward with our strengthening our non-financial disclosure reporting. And we plan to publish our sustainability report towards the end of this year. And we've just concluded um, a full company-wide materiality assessment and the reason for doing that is so is that we can get our sustainability report to be fully GRR compliant this year. So again, a lot of good work going on from our teams across all of the areas of operation in IPC on the ESG front. So that concludes um, my part of the, the presentation. I think it's been a great first quarter and I'll pass you across to Christoph and he'll walk you through the numbers in, in more detail. So Christoph, across to you. Thank you, Mike. Good morning to, to everyone. Indeed, uh, a pleasure to be here. What a change from, uh, from last year. As Mike mentioned, the combination of uh, very, very strong uh, operational performance in a, in a much higher oil price and gas price environment means indeed uh, a, a very good quarter. With, uh, with Brent on average in excess of uh, $61 for the, for the first quarter, an operating cost in line at 14.4 uh, US dollar per barrels of oil equivalent. It translated into a very healthy 68 million uh, US dollar for operating cash flow and 66 million US dollar of EBITDA for that single quarter, translating a, in turn to a 27 million net, uh, net profit. The, the net debt uh, was reduced by uh, 35 million US dollars, so most of the free cash flow, uh, and I'll give you the breakdown, uh, essentially was used to, to reduce that debt as we, we guided previously 
at our capital markets day in early February. This year is very light on CapEx, very focused on cash flow generation with that cash flow dedicated to, to debt reduction. So already from, uh, from a year-end leverage ratio of three times, we've been able to, to, to deleverage considerably in this first quarter. And uh, on, on the trailing 12 months rolling basis, uh, the, our leverage has come off from three times to 1.8 times. Uh, on, an annual, on an annualized basis, our leverage uh, is, is much closer to, to one time, actually. And so we're confident that uh, by the end of this year, uh, we should be indeed uh, on, on an annual basis with a, with a leverage at or below one time. In terms of uh, realized oil prices, the, 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 the offtake and the liftings were a bit lumpy in uh, Malaysia and France. Uh, we, we had a strong realized price with car, a strong cargo in Malaysia in February and, uh, and another cargo in Aquitaine in France. So we, we had realized prices uh, which averaged uh, more than three and a half US dollar per barrel on, on top of the, the average brand for the, for the first quarter. Interestingly, in Canada, we've seen, despite a much improved uh, Brent and WTI average level in this first quarter, we've, uh, we, we've seen uh, that the differential between the WTI and the WCS have remained very tight. And this is, uh, this is important because obviously most of our production, oil production in Canada is, um, is, uh, is sold off that uh, WCS. In terms of uh, premium or discount for Suffield and uh, Onion Lake assets, you can see that the, the Suffield here uh, realized price was just uh, just shy of the WCS uh, of 45 US dollar per barrel. More importantly, you can see a much improved, uh, a $2 improved net back at uh, Onion Lake Thermal. And this is really driven by the fact that we are sitting now roughly half of our Onion Lake thermal production uh, blended. So we are buying condensate. So you can, you can see on our account slightly higher condensate cost purchased to, 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 to blend into our, our own production, which we then are able to sell at uh, the WCS specification. So we've closed, uh, we've narrowed the, 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 the gap and are able to sell closer to WCS for 50%. Of our, of our production at uh, Onion Lake Thermal. Gas prices have improved uh, significantly as well. Uh, there was a wave of cold in, um, in, in February, as uh, everyone knows in, in North America, and um, the, the gas prices totally spiked at that moment in time. We were partially hedged, so we didn't fully capture that spike, but still it's the, the second best quarter in terms of uh, realized gas price for our business in, uh, in, in Canada. So we sold, uh, we sold on average at uh, just above 3.1 Canadian dollar per MCF, which is, uh, which is exceptional. And we also have, I'll talk, uh, I'll talk to it again uh, at the end of that, uh, th those few slides, but we also built up uh, a very strong uh, hedging uh, on, on the gas, which should see um, our average uh, realized gas price uh, just shy of three Canadian dollar uh, per MCF or half of, our of the remaining production this year. So good gas prices in Q1 and well, uh, well positioned to continue to benefit from, uh, from a strong gas price uh, going forward. 
I like this uh, slide uh, particularly because now we've turned the corner of, of 2020, so we are no longer comparing uh, 2020 to the previous year. Obviously, when you when you see that, it's obvious that uh, 2020 was a, a very low year, and that 2021, with the starting with this first quarter, has seen uh, exceptional performance. Uh, where we, we generated 68 and 66 million US dollar of uh, operating cash flow and EBITDA, respectively, as I mentioned before. I think more importantly, this is both ahead of uh, most analyst consensus and as well as our own budget. So really uh, a, a good performance, which we hope uh, and do everything we can to, to continue to deliver. In terms of uh, operating costs, uh, no change to, to our guidance. The, the OPEX per, per barrel of oil equivalent this first quarter was set at 14.4 uh, uh, US dollar per, per barrel. And uh, we maintain our guidance. We expect to see increased operating costs in, uh, in the second quarter on the back of a reduced production from the, the maintenance and turnaround work at uh, both our, our FPSO in Malaysia and, uh, and on and leg thermal. But uh, overall, we should deliver um, we should deliver OPEX per barrel for the for the year roughly at the level of our first quarter. Interesting to to look at netback, especially if you look at this in comparison to what we guided previously early February at, uh, at our capital markets day, because the the EBITDA and operating cash flow per barrel are actually three and a half dollar higher. Than, uh, than what we guided in our, in our high case. So we've, uh, we've really delivered a good performance. And obviously, the, given that some of our OPEX are fixed, our increased revenues translate into a much increased EBITDA operating cash flow, which itself translates into a, into a much stronger free cash flow compared to our, to our previous guidance. And I'll, I'll come back to that right now by showing you the the, the breakdown of, um, of our debt reduction during that, uh, that first quarter, starting from the, the 68 million US dollar of operating cash flow. And uh, the, the free cash flow generation, so free cash flow for the first quarter was actually 49, just shy of 50 million US, US dollar. And uh, all of the available cash after the change in working capital was allocated to debt reduction. So we reduced our net debt by just in excess of 35 million US dollar. And we had, uh, we had a change in working capital of 13 million dollar, which was driven by increased activity, increased oil prices and higher oil inventories, resulting into this uh, increased, um, increased working cap quarter uh, from the end of last year to this quarter. Generally, you've seen that uh, I talked to the, the fact that OPEX were in line with, uh, with expectations. The other main costs, or GNA and finance costs, are under control, flat quarter to quarter, and in line with expectations. So not much to report other than the costs are, are under control in our business. Now, the, the financial results, you can see that the, the, the cash margin, uh, given a very low very low GNA, very low cash taxes, or cash margin, which is really the revenues less OPEX, is uh, is at the at the same level al almost as our 
EBITDA and operating cash flow at 69 million, translating into gross profit of 38 million US dollar and very, and very good net profit for the quarter at 27 million. Our balance sheet is uh, our total, the total size of our balance sheet is, is, is relatively flat um, quarter on quarter. The, the points to, to note is obviously the, the debt reduction on the liability side. And then generally because there was more activity in Q1 than Q4, we have more payables, but with increased oil prices, we also have more receivables. And finally, given that we only had one uh, lifting in Malaysia, we had uh, a growing oil inventory at the end of March on our, on our balance sheet, generating this positive change in working capital. We consumed some of the free cash flow uh, as, as part of our increased working cap, which which uh, which uh, may unfold over the next um, over the next months and quarters. The the final point is uh, is to is to give some uh, some 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 lights, uh, shed some lights around our, our hedging position. We we used a very positive and supportive oil price environment to lock in some uh, some hedges uh, for oil production in in canada and so we're in a position where roughly 50 percent of our canadian oil production is hedged as well as 25 percent for the second half and on average we managed to lock in a 45 us dollar per barrel uh, wcs which is once again higher than our, our best case and our high case from our from our capital markets there so very happy with that level even if today it is uh, it is actually even even higher at uh, at around at closer to to fifty dollar WCS. In uh, on on the gas side, as I hinted before, we we have a, a mix of uh, forward sales contracts and financial hedges, which translate into the fact that for this uh, second quarter we're in, and next quarter we're roughly fifty percent hedged and um, at uh, at two point nine. Canadian dollar per MCF. So again, we we should be ahead of um, of of our, of, our, of our previous guidance. So overall, a very good quarter. We've locked in some hedges. Production performance is very good. So we're looking forward to some some other good good performance over the of the next uh, of the next three quarters this year. Thank you very much, and I will let uh, let Mike conclude. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Well, thank you very much, uh, Christoph, and some some really phenomenal financial numbers there. So, just to recap on on the first quarter performance, it's been one of the best quarters that we've seen in in more than two years. The last time we had this kind of production levels and free cash flow generation was the first quarter of 2019, when all prices were averaging around $63. Per barrel, but as I mentioned, the 
IPC stock price was closer to 50 sec a share rather than 30 sec a share this morning. When we look at the outlook in terms of the production performance, good gas prices, strong absolute crude prices and tight differentials, we've really got everything um, in tailwinds running in synchronization. So let's just recap on, on the highlights for the first quarter. Uh, production of 43,700 barrels of oil equivalent per day above the high-end guidance and with the good production we've seen through April, with the uplift in our Malaysian interest and the D-prime and Muni coming on stream in the second half, we expect full-year production to be towards the top end of that guidance range. Good continued delivery on the OPEX in line with guidance in the first quarter and no changes made to the full-year numbers. Um, organic growth capex remains limited, um, delivering very strong free cash flow at $37 million dollars, but we do have some optionality um, at Onion Thermal in Canada um, and in Malaysia for the fourth quarter if we continue to see us running above that high in guidance that we gave in excess of 150 million of free cash flow. Cash flow for the first quarter was above the high in guidance at just under 70 million dollars. In the first quarter, free cash flow generation was an exceptional $49 million, which represents in one quarter only uh, close to 10% of IPC's market cap at the end of the first quarter. The balance sheet's in much better position than it was last year during the pandemic. A year end net, sorry, quarter end net debt is $286 million. And we're seeing that the, the power of that free cash flow and the deleveraging at the end of December our net debt to EBITDA ratio was three times and already by the end of the first quarter that's dropped to 1.8 times and if you annualize our Q1 EBITDA will be down at close to 1.1 times so again the balance sheet's now in really good shape. Good performance on the BD front we were able to conclude the acquisition of a 25% interest um, in our Bertam field in, in Malaysia for no consideration and that adds from the 10th of April 1,250 barrels a day of extra production. So it's a bit like picking up an infill well without having to pay for the capex to drill it. On the ESG side as well, no material safety incidents, no interruptions to any of our operational sites. As I mentioned, we've secured the carbon offset credits that we need in 2021 to offset our 2020 emission reductions target. So I think it's been a very solid performance in congratulations to to the whole IPC team that have been a part of delivering this performance so that concludes the the presentation part I guess we can turn over now to uh, to open up for some Q&A thank you if you do wish to ask a question please press zero one on your telephone keypad if you wish to withdraw your question you may do so by pressing zero two there will be a brief pause while questions are being registered. The first question comes from the line of Theodore Nielsen from Sparebank One Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Good morning and uh, congrats on impress impressive results for Q1. Um, I have three questions, actually. First, on, on, on guidance, uh, Mike, you said that uh, you likely will come in the upper end of the current guidance. Uh, uh, I just wonder how sensitive is that statement to oil and gas prices? Let's say that, okay, we'll see $50 uh, oil price are not close to 70 through the remaining of the year. Uh, would you still expect to end up in the upper end 
the of the guided range. Uh, and second question is on uh, the emission reduction. We're talking about 50% reduction by 2025, uh, and that uh, will come from both operational initiatives and, and also some other offsetting initiatives. I just wonder: is it, is it possible to be be more specific and also maybe um, uh, share share some thoughts around the costs and investments required to for those 50% reduction? And my final question is on. Uh, the pecking order for cash flow, of course, net debt is coming rapidly down uh, now. Uh, so, so how do you think around dividends uh, versus M&A and when should we expect the dividend? That's all. Okay, yeah. So the so the, fir- the, the, the first question on the cash flow guidance, let me just refer back to to the slide to, to give you a bit of direction there, Tidor. So. Yeah, so if we look at the if you look at the full year numbers that we gave in our guidance, you can see on on average, um, you know, you're looking at between a ten dollar increase in Brent crude prices. So at fifty five dollars per barrel, uh, we're assuming around one hundred million dollars of free cash flow, and at sixty five, we're looking around one hundred and fifty. So, you know, one can say for every ten dollars per barrel, you're looking at about a fifty million dollar. Um, increase now. Of course, that's on a full year basis, so you would need to you need to adjust that for um, for the period of the year that's remaining. Christoph showed at Capital Markets Day um, in his presentation that the impact of a five dollar per barrel tightening of the Canadian crude price differential would translate into about a thirty million dollar uplift um, in free cash flow as well. And if you look at that high end guidance that we gave at sixty five. Um, of around $150 million. It assumed WTI differentials of four um, and a, a WCS differential of 17. So you had a $21 discount from your $65 um, per barrel price forecast. So we were looking at WCS prices of $44 per barrel in that upside scenario. And Canadian crude prices today are trading around 53 54 so I think all the all the information is there in the netbacks to be able to extrapolate that. But if you're looking at you know $65 plus today and $30 um, differentials with the beat in Q1, we should be looking at you know well in excess of that high end guidance. Um, your second question was on the on the ESG and and the carbon offset projects, and, and you talked about the numbers in the projects. So 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 far in terms of operational reductions that we've seen from from our assets which in about a hundred thousand tons and that's been split between our project our Bertan project in Malaysia where we invested in um, dual fuel power generation which allowed us to use the the flash gas of the separators um, to generate power to run our pumps as opposed to um, as opposed to using diesel and and in Canada it was the investment in the heat recovery units that reduces the amount of gas that we need to to run our facilities. So if you look at the offsets that we've secured um, relative to the operational emissions reductions for this year, it's about 100,000 tonnes, 100,000 tonnes each. The particular project that we've we've partnered with for for last year and for this year's credits um, is a solar powered project. It's a 100 megawatt project in the northern region of, of Punjab. Um, it's credits that are generated by 
um, by greening up the grid in northern India. So without that project going ahead, it's about 70% of India's energy production comes from coal-fired power generation. So by moving forward with this uh, solar project, that generates carbon credits, which we're purchasing through our partnership um, with, with First Climate. And the cost of those is all embedded um, in our operating cost guidance forecast. And then on the your third question with respect to um, to priority for um, for the free cash flow generation, um, I think right now, as you've seen, it's all the free cash flow that we're generating is going towards debt reduction. And, and during our Capital Markets Day presentation, we were asked about buybacks, which is your question. We said the last time that we were and we launched a buyback program was when our leverage ratio was below one times. And I think we've reported this morning a big step forward towards that deleveraging on a last 12 months basis, we're, we're 1.8 times. Um, our sense is before we, we wanna be pretty cautious because we, we have to recognize that the recovery that we've seen um, in all prices, you know, has been really at the feet of OPEC and Saudi Arabia in particular. And we've still got a significant amount of supply that's been withheld from the market. So we would like to see um, the continued rollout of the vaccination program. We'd like to see a fundamental recovery in demand in the second half. If, if we see continued strong oil prices, that will see us deleverage. And then you're gonna see stock levels move, move back to to, to much more fundamentally balanced levels. And I think if we've got those, um, that combination of, of things, we then start to make us feel much more confident about relaunching um, a buyback program. I think that covers all your questions, Theodore. Uh, yes, it did. But, but actually, on the first question, my question was more on the, on the volume sensitivity and not, uh, not on, the, on, the, on the cash flow, but I can reach out to, to Rebecca later on. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Just a reminder that if you would like to ask a question, please press zero one on your telephone keypad. We have no further questions from the audio line, so I will pass back for any online questions. Okay, thank you. Um, actually, we had a lot of online questions on dividends and buybacks, so I think you've answered that, Mike. So we'll, we'll avoid those ones. Um, my question on um, Onion Lake: <clears throat> How much production shut-in do you expect um, during the ramp-up of D Prime, and how much incremental production thereafter when D Prime comes online? Yes. Yeah, so I mean, uh, to give some general guidance, the the way the the team in Canada have planned. The, the, the shutdown is is gradually across the full month of May. So there are there are two trains um, at Onion Lake Thermal. So we've got a couple of days at the beginning of the month where we had a full shutdown. And then for the remainder of the month, there's going to be one train down for approximately half the month and another train down um, for the second half. So you typically Onion Thermal is producing around 10 to 11,000 barrels per day. Um, and we expect... Uh, a reduction in production just for that particular month of around 4,000 barrels a day on average across the month of May. In terms of the ads from D Prime, um, we expect, as I mentioned in the presentation, a slow ramp up, but we should be seeing in excess of 1,500 barrels a day of additional production ads. 
um, from deep prime towards the end of this year. Next, and a question on hedging for Yeah. So what is the hedging strategy going forward with respect to Canadian oil? And then we have another question here from a different investor, which is, when will you stop hedging Canadian production? Will it be with Enbridge Line 3 online? Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a good question. And obviously, coming from where, where we're coming uh, with, uh, with 2020 uh, back in our mind, we, we were happy to be able to lock in some, um, some of our Canadian oil production at, at above the high end of our, of our range. So Mike mentioned before, the, the high end for WCS prices uh, in our budget was 44. We've managed to hedge above that level at 45, 50% in the second quarter, 25% of our Canadian oil production in the second half of this year. Uh, there's, there's always some reason to, um, to, to ensure minimum, uh, minimum cash flows going forward, to deleverage, uh, to, to deleverage to prepare the balance sheet in case we want to, to do a bit more capex, to have a solid uh, balance sheet in case we, we find some, uh, some M&A opportunities. So it's, it's really about uh, managing the, the, the unexpected. We don't have a formal policy. We don't have a bank hedging covenants as we speak. Uh, given that WCS can be hedged for the second half of, of this year right now, at uh, $50 on average, um, we, we, we will continue to discuss and, uh, and appreciate if we want to lock in a, a bit more for the second half of this year, because WCS at 50 is a, is, a, is, is a very, very high level, obviously, more than 10% above where, where, where we guided in, in the high end of the, the range. This, the, just to comment on the, the last part of the question, I think it's a, it's, it's a very fair point to, to note, as Mike uh, explained before, that uh, we're we, we almost there with, uh, with line three, which is still expected to come on stream by the end of this year. Trans Mountain and the, the expansion of Trans Mountain is also uh, progressing very well. So all of this should stabilize going forward the WTI WCS differential. So both very well for, for, the, for, for IPC uh, business in overall and in Canada in particular. And, um, and so we will reevaluate what we want to do in terms of edging for 22. But definitely, uh, if you look at the, the last uh, two years, 2019, 2020, and this first quarter, on average, the WTI, WCS differential has been between 12 and 13 on average over those periods. So really good sign for, for business. Mm -hmm. Mike, um, regarding the additional growth opportunity, uh, first question is, is there any threshold oil price level you want to see over a sustained period of time in order to, to formally add these to the CapEx program? No, I mean, we, have, we haven't set an, an absolute target. I mean, obviously, the interaction between Brent prices and continued strong differentials will, will, will help. So if we are still trending towards the the high end guidance or even above that, you know, with tighter differentials, you know, that certainly puts us on very solid footing to, 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 to look to move forward with those. And I think what's going to be important is the outlook into 2022, because you know, if, if we make these additional investments, it's going to have limited impact on our 2021 numbers. But if it can add entry level production capacity for 2022, and as I say, we've seen that solid recovery in demand and inventory levels rebalance that rebalance i think it's more how that forward outlook is into 2022 uh, transpires before we decide to to do anything more firm on those optional projects okay thank you uh, second question on the, the 
as well join candidates. Why are you looking for M&A when you have those returns on your infill well doing candidates? If you want to grow, where can you find better returns? I mean, I don't think I, if, if you look at those two projects alone, we're talking about $30 million of incremental investment. And if we're, you know, if you're looking at tight differentials and free cash flow potential, you know, as I mentioned, in excess of $180 million, if you add in the tight differential upside on our high case, I don't think we're limited by looking at further M&A by a $30 million investment addition program. I think we've got the financial capacity to do both. Okay, and um, a question on M&A again. So are you involved in any current M&A processes in commercial regulation? And is that a focus area for M&A? We don't, we don't comment on particular specific jurisdictions, but um, I think a general comment is for sure we've seen an uptick in M&A activity, particularly relative to, to 2020. And we're always actively engaged in, in screening a number of opportunities. And, and you know, like most of the time since IPC was spun off back in 2017, we're, you know, we have ongoing a, a number of opportunities that we are, that we are engaging so it's um yeah it's just part and parcel of what we do on a um on a month to month basis okay and in terms of operations and the netbacks we're seeing from onshore canada uh what are we seeing from producers in neighboring properties are we seeing the same sort of benefits or is it a mixed bag there um, I, I mean i think in general across the canadian energy space of, of course absolute prices and crude differentials and gas prices um, impact all producers uh, alike, and, and, and I think what you're going to see in the first quarter is, is across the whole Canadian energy space, a, a fundamental improvement in their free cash flow generation. So it's not isolated to, um, to, to, to IPC, but I think the fact that we bought into that whole story um, at a point where differentials were distressed and valuations were, were extremely low, I think we've got a phenomenal platform to create a huge amount of value for our shareholders. Okay, thank you. One more for Christoph. Just a question on the long-term leverage ratio of your company. Yeah, well, again, I mean, three, three times at the end of last year is not in absolute terms um, an, an issue, but for, 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 the, for the other industry, it's a, it's a, for the upstream, it's a, it's a bit high. So we feel much, definitely much more comfortable today. Uh, we we don't have a set uh, leverage uh, level that we that we want to achieve. Typically, if, if by year end uh, we are at or below one time, it opens the door to um, to, to to doing uh, to considering uh, buybacks, uh, as, as as Mike mentioned before. But um, that that needs to be weighed against uh, some uh, some uh, very very good payback and very good high return uh, projects that uh, we may consider as the as the, the, the additional capex we could spend in uh, in Canada or Malaysia but uh, yeah of course we want to deleverage from continue to deleverage from where we are and we expect that to naturally happen in the next uh, two three quarters Mike, one last question from the webcast will you be positioned in a couple of years to develop Blackrod on your own or will you need to bring in a partner um I think it's too early to answer that question right now I mean all, all the work that has gone on right now by our team and country is to you know is to really mature the whole kind of subsurface 
and development concept on Blackrod. And by moving forward with the third well pair and using the latest technology, so you know, much longer horizontal drilling, using the latest steam flow control devices, as we said, to try and reduce the, the construction and drilling footprint and environmental footprint and get those break-even costs down. You know, we're going to be in a very, very good position. I think, I think the one thing about that project that sets it apart from, from other growth projects is that we have all the environmental permits and the construction permits in place. So if we choose to, to move forward with the first phase development of 180 million barrels out of the billion barrels of contingent resource, we can do so without any further approval. So that, that's obviously very attractive to, to partners. Um, whether we choose to, to move forward ourselves or to, to bring in a partner, I think, I think a project of that size and scale, um, it would be more prudent to, um, to dilute our interest, but no decisions have been made in that respect uh, thus far. Um, I believe we have one more question on the line. Operator, if you could open up for that. Thank you. Yes, we have one more question from James Hosey from Barclays. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. Um, yeah, thanks for taking the question. I was just wondering on your debt facilities and whether any of the facilities have restrictions on your ability to resume shareholder returns. And also, is there a kind of a, a list of priorities in terms of which facilities you'd be looking to pay down first through this year yeah thank you thank you james uh well well yeah you you as you know you have all sorts of uh, of covenants and limitations in um in uh in, in debt facilities but there are, there are provisions which in certain cases allow you including driven by uh, by leverage which uh, which allow you to allow us uh to return capital to to shareholders so that's uh that's embedded in um in the in the in the credit facilities we have, if we can, as and as much as possible, we, we like to obviously reduce and repay our most expensive uh, credit lines. Uh, so as as much as possible, that's uh, that's what we we do and focus on. Um, and, uh, and 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 gen generally, especially in Canada, where some some of the some of the finance costs are driven by leverage, uh, we should also see, uh, especially in the second half of this year, when the when the leverage really materializes some uh, reduction in uh, in the cost of debt. Okay, th thanks very much. Okay, Thank you. Questions? We have no further questions, so I will pass back for any closing comments. Okay, thank you very much, Operator, and thanks everyone for taking the time to, to tune in this morning. I think it's been an exceptionally strong performance um, by IPC during the first quarter, and we look forward to that continuing and um, reporting in early August for our second quarter results. So thank you very much indeed, everybody. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.